Welcome to the Bob Siegel Show podcast on the Cross Global Media Radio Network. Visit cgmradio.com slash bob to subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform. I'm going to go to Matthew chapter 25, verse 46. Jesus said, These shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteousness into eternal life. And I wanted to keep the keyword internal for this question here. Mark chapter 9, verse 43. And if your hand makes you sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter into life maimed than having two hands to go to hell into the fire that shall never be quenched. And I wanted to advertise the shall never be quenched part there. Revelation chapter 14, verse 11, and the smoke of their torment ascends up forever and ever. And again, forever and ever is what I wanted to focus on. Now, here's where all that is going to accumulate to this Bible verse. In Malachi chapter 4, verse 1 and 3, for behold, the day is coming, burning like an end oven, and all the proud, yes, elude wickedly, shall be as stubble. And the day that is coming shall burn them up. And I wanted to keep that emphasis on burn them up, says the Lord of the hosts that shall leave them neither root nor branch. You shall trample the wicked for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet. So I wanted to keep emphasis on the ashes part there. And another place in the Bible, in Psalms chapter 37, verse 10 and 11, for yet a little while and the wicked shall be no more. Indeed, you will look diligently for his place and it shall be no more. And then Jude 7 makes this subject very plain as Sodom and Gomorrah in the cities around them in a similar manner, having given themselves over to sexually immortality and gone after strange flesh are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of internal fire. Sodom and Gomorrah are not burning today, yet the Bible says they suffered the vengeance of internal fire. How can this be explained? And doesn't everlasting fire mean that hell is burning ceaselessly and eternally? Those are my two questions. I know it was a lot of Bible yeah, verses as no, an example. Yeah, no, it's very good. Well, there certainly are a lot of Christians, many Christians who do believe that hell is a place where people burn incessantly. You were reading a wide panorama of verses, all of them talking about fire and burning, but Correct. some of them were referring to different things. So let's talk first a little more simplistic. Okay. There is a judgment that's going to come upon this world. This world's going to be destroyed. This world's going to be recreated. That recreation is called the New Jerusalem. So the wicked people will be destroyed, burned up in a fire. As far as their existence in this world is, they are no more. They burned up their ashes, their smoke. Okay. So that's one context for burning. But the fiery image is also used of the next life. And one of the words for hell that was used quite frequently by Jesus was the word Gehenna. We translated it as hell in English. Gehenna was actually a garbage dump in ancient Judea where trash was burned. Hmm. And people understood that when Jesus was talking. So the question that we need to ask ourselves is, was the onus on the burning or was the onus on being in this trash heap? Okay. This may have been Jesus's way of saying, you were created to obey and glorify God. If you're not going to do what you were created to do, you're like a machine that no longer works and you're going to be put on the trash heap. There are other places where Jesus talks about hell with an opposite image. He calls it an outer darkness, which is not a fiery image at all. It's the opposite of fire. It's all dark. Hell is a real place. It is a place where people will be conscious forever and ever. They will be in torment because they will be separated from God. It's a horrific place. Is it a place where people burn? That's 
possible. Mm -hmm. I don't necessarily feel the need to jump to that conclusion when we have explanations for why a fiery image was used, such as it being a garbage dump. Okay. It's quite interesting how that trans... What was the word again? Uh, Gehenna. Gehenna. It's quite interesting how Gehenna was translated into that word of basically it was a trash heap, but then it got translated to hell. Yeah, and then there are other words for hell too. There was another place called Hades. Now, Hades was like a holding place. The difference between Gehenna and Hades is like if we use the analogy of our court system, the difference between jail and prison. You're arrested, you go to jail you await your trial. And then if your trial finds you guilty, you're sent to prison. Hades was the holding cell for people to wait for the judgment seat of Christ. Gehenna was the ultimate prison, eternal prison that they were sent oh, to okay. afterwards. Well, that, I'll go but back. both words get translated as hell in okay. our Bible. Well, I'll go back to that in a second here, but very quickly, it just reminded me of a wrestler back in the day. His name was the Great Kali. Kali is Indian for two different words. Giant, which he was a really big dude. I think he was over seven feet tall. He had giant hands and everything, but it also translated to manure as well. So you oh. could say <laughs> the great manure as oh well. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I don't know which one to choose. <laughs> if I meet him in person, I'm going to call him the great giant. I'm not going to call him yeah, the great Yeah, he doesn't sound like a guy you want to argue with. No. <laughs> so then that brings me up to purgatory then, if that's the case, because isn't purgatory a waiting place then technically? Well, to purgatory go to is a belief that developed in the Catholic Church. It's not actually talked about in the New Testament. I know Catholics believe in it sincerely, and I know you're a very sincere, dedicated Catholic, right. Brendan, and I respect that. Purgatory was a little bit different. In the Catholic Church, even though Jesus paid for all of your sins, you still had to do some things about your sins in this life. And any unfinished business in this life, you would take care of in purgatory. So purgatory was kind of an in-between place. It wasn't a holding cell in the sense of Hades. Hades was a holding cell to go before Christ to see if you're going to be saved at all. In the Catholic Church, it's assumed that you're already saved, but if you sin in this life, there are certain sacraments that you're supposed to go through. Penance, confession, things like that. Any that are left over that you didn't take care of in this life, well, then you would go to purgatory and you would somehow take care of it in purgatory and then purgatory would prepare you to ultimately go into heaven. So that's the Catholic belief in purgatory. Okay. That's not actually found in the New Testament. Okay. So what's the difference in this case of the Hades area and the purgatory? The again, difference exactly? again would be Hades is a holding cell for people who denied Christ who are not going to go to heaven at all, but they're going to officially get a trial before Jesus. And they're waiting to go before Jesus. After they go before Jesus, they just get sent to the ultimate hell. Purgatories for people who, yeah, they're saved. They're going to go to heaven, but they've got a little bit of unfinished business. And in purgatory is the place where they're working it out. I understand. So how did Catholicism eventually determine, oh, there is a purgatory area if it's not mentioned in the Well, a lot of the Catholic beliefs developed gradually. If you go back to the very early Catholic Catholic Church. The early Catholic Church was the New Testament Church, but a lot of their sacraments and things developed over time. What you need to understand happened when the apostles died, and we're talking now about the early second century, end of the first century, panic ensued in the church because it was believed that the apostles, the men who knew Jesus personally on earth, they had this special authority. In fact, Jesus did give them that special authority. We read about that. All of a sudden, they're not around. Now, the early church was shocked because they thought they were going to witness the second coming of Christ in their lifetime. Right. And it hadn't happened and now the apostles are gone. So it was like, well, who's going to guide us? Well, what happened is two ideas sprouted up and they were both legitimate ideas. One idea said, well, 
the disciples of Jesus, the apostles, they in turn discipled their own disciples. For example, Paul discipled Timothy. And we read in Timothy from Paul, what you have learned from me, entrust to faithful men who will in turn teach others. So they saw what they called apostolic succession. We have spiritual people that have inherited the authority of the apostles. Okay, so that was one theory as to what to do after the apostles left. Mm -hmm. Now, there was another theory, and they said, okay, well, the apostles may be dead, but their words aren't. Paul wrote a lot of letters. Peter wrote letters. Gospels were written. So we have the words of Matthew and John and Paul and Peter, and that's how the Bible, the New Testament Bible, was developed by them putting these things together. Those traditions developed simultaneously. Finally, the New Testament gets canonized, and people are saying, well, that's the authority. But now we also have this apostolic succession. They said, well, yes, but we need the present-day successors of the apostles to interpret the Bible for us properly and tell us what it means. And that gets into some of the stuff that I've done, I did earlier today, and I've done this on previous shows, Mm -hmm. that I believe the Bible is already clear. Although I have great respect for the motives behind the apostolic succession, I do think it was unnecessary since we have the actual words of the apostles. So now in time, different apostolic successors, quote unquote, are adding different rituals and people are accepting them because they're saying, well, these people are just as authoritative as the apostles. So it was giving them a license to continue to add to the revelation of God, so to speak. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. The Bob Siegel Show podcast is a production of Bob Siegel and Cross Global Media. Visit us online and subscribe to the show at cgmradio.com slash bob.